0: Welcome to the Dad Strength Podcast, helping you take care of yourself so that you can be present for your people. The Dad Strength Podcast is an Unlearning Network production. My name is Jeff Gerbitz, and I have been fudging my numbers. Fortunately, I have exactly the right guest to sort me out. James Heathers has a PhD in cardiac psychophysiology. He is the chief scientific officer of CypherSkin, which is a wearable technology company. He is also the co-host of Everything Hurts. That's H-E-R-T-Z, which is a podcast for scientists by scientists. If you were listening to that description and thinking that we have a meek academic here on the Dad Strength podcast, well, hang on to your insides. James is a long-haired, head-banging, curry-cooking, absolute juggernaut of a human being. And he has hurt a lot of feelings in the name of better science, earning him the moniker data thug, which I take uh, deep satisfaction from. I like to describe him as a precision instrument that doubles as a battering ram. The reason for all those hurt feelings has been James' quest for better science. In his own time, he has worked on forensic research, leading to the retraction of dozens of published scientific articles. Sometimes the fabrication of evidence has been really obvious once examined, but some of the articles have been things that I liked and intuitively agreed with. But here's the problem. If we are only critical of science that disagrees with our opinions and we let the rest slide, then we really don't have science anymore. We kind of have bad partisan journalism just with more Latin. So... James is less worried about science as an institution, maybe, and more focused on science as a language or or maybe an ethos or ideal, and that's different. Science itself is imperfect, it is messy, and there are a zillion issues with it. But with people like James, uh, we see him chasing the ideal, and I'm thankful that he is out there doing it. Hurt feelings be damned. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Othership. Othership is a guided breathwork app. Sessions can wake you up, calm you down, or otherwise get you into the state of mind that you need. I will use Othership to transition into great sleep. I will use it uh, sometimes to wake up in the morning. And a lot of times, probably most of the time, I use it to rebalance myself. If I if I find my head is spinning, if I'm not able to concentrate, if I'm upset about something, I, I will pull that out of my toolkit. Um, Certainly, there are other things you can do from meditation to exercise. I will be the first to tell you. Othership is just one more useful tool. Uh, You can try it out for free by visiting othership.us. Now for my interview with James Heathers. Let's get into it.
1: When it comes to really genuinely pulling the legs off the fly as a scientist, criticizing, analyzing, opening, fully interrogating the work that is done by other scientists and put in the public domain and our own stuff as well. Obviously, we're appalling to each other. Um, In general, an enormous amount in every piece of research is left on the table. There's a tremendous amount of criticisms you can make about just about anything that isn't kind of epic scale. So when the people at the Large Hadron Collider have 1,200 authors um, and then they take their multi-billion dollar piece of equipment and then they say, well, we've found a fermion that spins backwards and we're sure within eight standard deviations. That's kind of an edge case when it comes to what is scientific information formally. The vast majority, majority of it is not that it is something smaller, it is something messier, and it is something that has a variety of holes and confusions. And in general, scientists see the process versions of those. You get to say things like, well, that, that wasn't done exactly right or the way that I'd do it. Um, I, I see weaknesses in the methodology. But at the same time, you have a context to be able to put those into. Or they didn't do that particular thing right there. Why not? Because that's very hard or because they don't have access or because only six work groups are capable of doing that. So when it comes to assessing that, there is a context. I mean, there's a lot of criticism, but at the same time, you know kind of what will live through it. You're capable of aggregating new knowledge that's generated into a framework that already has other things within it which means also that if you if you spot the one glaring flaw in the whole thing you get to throw the whole thing away and not think about it to begin with which happens reasonably often but not as often as just there's an imperfect contribution to knowledge and we take a step down from that and i think this is much more a uh, people who are sort of scientifically literate within uh health fitness etc they know a lot of the basic procedural problems with um, how scientific papers work. And in general, a lot of that criticism really is, is quite good, um, mainly because it isn't encumbered by all the other complications and the things you think and any general sort of affiliation. So someone does another study on nutrition and they use a food diary and someone will pop up saying, You know how inaccurate the whole idea of write down all the shit you ate over time is, right? We can't really trust this research. It feels like beating a dead horse from time to time, but the problem is it's also perfectly correct. A lot of that stuff is shit, Um, and it's done simply because scientists must do things. They must not necessarily produce knowledge. They need to produce papers, and they're not necessarily the same thing. So a lot of people who are interested rather than ensconced within scientific work get to make those criticisms all the time. This is a cross-sectional study. It doesn't tell us anything about um, the development of a problem or a disease over time. Always perfectly true. Correlation is not necessarily causation. I could rant for 20 minutes on how people generally misinterpret that, but at the same time also technically perfectly true.
0: I want to dig into this for a second because I think it's really important. And James is is sparing us a diatribe, but I'm going to deliver one on his behalf. And that is where stuff can sometimes be oversimplified. So uh, the authors of Freakonomics, Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt, have a great example of where ice cream consumption was correlated to Uh, Polio, and in the in the days where this was, that was the pandemic of the time. People were really trying to figure this out. And if that sounds kind of ludicrous to you, well, you can just imagine. I think back to the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, where I was like, "Uh, "Can I touch a box that's been delivered by UPS? Do I need to wait a week?" We just didn't know, and we were freaked out about it. So you can understand where this stuff comes from. Now it turns out that polio spreads well in the summer, and, and for reasons that weren't really understood, and guess what, so do ice cream sales. And, and ice cream, by the way, has been dragged into all kinds of uh, versions of this argument. There's the um, correlation between ice cream and murders and ice cream and drowning deaths, and, you know, and, and ostensibly this stuff is all about the summertime, uh, but you can just see why these are such powerful examples of why correlation is not causation. However, there's a caution here, and this is what I want to elaborate on. Sometimes correlation is good enough. It really depends on on what the claim is. So here's here's another silly example. Do camels create deserts, right? Uh, Probably not a great conclusion. However, if you are face-to-face with a camel, I've got to say there's a better than good chance that you are in a desert or at least close to a desert what about zoos, Jeff? Yes, or, or maybe a zoo. And, and if we were really trying to parse this um, for high levels of predictability and we took zoos out, there you have it. If you're looking at, uh, at a camel and you're not in a zoo, man, that's a good chance you're in a desert. And that's, that's the point here. If we're not claiming causation, we are just seeing this kind of uh, statistical distribution, we can generally make some pretty good and some pretty reliable guesses. And so I guess if, if there's a point here, and I'll try to figure out what that is, if there's a point here. It's just that um, to drop that, like to treat correlation as not causation, like a mic drop is um, at the risk of being intellectually lazy because we have to understand is that a claim? Is that important to understanding this point? And if it's not, if this is not a a causative sort of argument, then we are shutting ourselves off to some other really potentially important and useful data.
1: Because people have these sort of hard won pieces of knowledge and they have these principles that they work by, a lot of the time they will remind you of the central flaws within bigger research programs. So a lot of the time, people that we both know or people who are in the sort of a community of, uh, that I suppose both of us would consider extant to what we do, when they complain about something, a lot of the time they're right. A lot of research shouldn't happen uh, in the first place. And honestly, it's fine. I don't mind being reminded of principles that are correct over and over again. Obviously, uh, you have to temper all of that with the fact that everyone's got an agenda of their own or they're trying to sell something. But in general, that's fine. So let's back off. We've done the sort of professional perspective now and now we've done the sort of I can handle reading a scientific paper although it hurts my feelings a bit perspective and then we get to sort of all the other perspectives and the vast majority of the time uh, they're shite and there is a, a basic set of pieces of scientific methodology and assumed knowledge where I don't care if you tell me something like, well, I've done my research or I've I've seen this and it, uh, it it appears to be similar to something that we thought before, or this agrees with my preconception, so now I love it. All of that can be immediately discounted as the hooting of dickholes. Obviously, it's important socially because people talk about it a lot, um, especially now, but let's not pretend that some of the conversations right now aren't direct extensions of uh, pre-existing digital rambling of people who are within the kind of uh, para-wellness space, chiropractors, um, holistic care nuts, crunchies, yoga fiends, kombucha worshippers, and people who essentially I consider to be from space. Um, you know, a lot of people have rolled a lifestyle and an identity up into a component scientific perspective.
0: I just want to take a second here to lean back and watch my subscriber count plummet. But I hope you're staying with me, and we're aligned here because, you know, when I look out at the, the whole space of my colleagues, of what James would call sort of para wellness, this is a thing that I see all the time. People have kind of built their careers on going counter to the mainstream. And they get it right a lot of the time because none of us should just trust everything that big pharma has to say or what your doctor, for example, has to say, or even public health policy. Folks get it wrong all the time, but they don't get it wrong 100% of the time. And so that is not an ethos to just fold your arms and go, nope. That's that's just not how it works. So um, I feel like a lot of people have felt sort of painted into a corner. They built their whole business practice and the way they position themselves around going counter to the mainstream. And now when evidence comes up, whether that's about vaccines or other public health policy, um, or they don't like certain parts of it, they're, they're sort of cherry picking stuff, or they're just pushing back hard. And I don't think if you are in the health business, if you are in the taking care of people business, I don't think that always serves the folks you're working with. And I would also say, and I think this is where this whole conversation started that if you want to be highly critical of the body of literature and scientific knowledge out there, well, the onus then becomes yours to go out and create a better quality of evidence. You don't have to trust scientific literature necessarily, but you need to deeply understand the scientific method. That's different. That's just clarity of thought and clarity of evidence. And then um, you sort of have to hold yourself to a higher standard. That's what I wish people would do. But that's not what I see, and I think we're seeing a real ideological divide happening right now
1: in real time. When we look at whether or not something makes sense in context, we look at different things. The science is a job people versus the uh, science is a meme page or science is something I occasionally tarry with sort of people. We We look at different signifiers. Um, different methodological details. And it's one of these things when people say, go and do your own research. I promise you it's very hard to learn to be able to interrogate complicated information like this. It is an expert job. And I know that because there's tons of it that I am not capable of doing that too. What you want to do is find someone who really knows about that that isn't me, I don't know about that, And, and go from there. That's not a a sort of a positional humility. I just don't know. All you need to know is enough to know that you don't know. And then you don't open your mouth. It's really very straightforward. So, I mean, I'll give you a a recent example. Um, The vast majority of research that has been pertinent to public health and everyone in the world being sick or dead over the last eighteen months during the plague, has been uh, various pieces of public health, hardcore virology, epidemiology, uh, and associated areas that cross over with that, like um, how the uh, how how shutting an economy and opening opening it again affects um, you know markets. Now, I'm not a virologist, an economist, an epidemiologist or whatever else. So the vast majority of the time I have said nothing. while well, everyone else is out there banging the drum going, oh, I have a strong opinion on this. I, honestly, I don't. I go looking for the opinions of people who I, I know genuinely know. But the idea that it's, you, you're not allowed to go around saying some people know more about stuff than others is very funny. Um, and I feel like that that position itself is really like the centre of a very very strong arrogance, like uh, a a centre, like a positional centre in the middle of something. Well, no, no, I, I I maintain the rights to my opinion. Which you have the right to it, but also I do not cop the the surprise. And the, the hurt feelings when someone tells you that it's ass. You just need to know enough to know you don't know. It's not, They're never going to put that on a T-shirt. I guess we have to work on the branding. There's this movie called
0: To Live... Lifetimes is another English title. It's a Chinese film directed by Zhang Yimou. It was banned in China because it was not entirely complimentary about some of the things that took place during big historical and cultural events like the the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution. And there's the scene where one of the main characters is in labor and her life is at risk, but they cannot get a specialist. They cannot find a doctor to take care of her because they've sent all of the intellectuals and doctors and smarty pants into the countryside for being reactionary academic authorities. And so the hospital's left staffed with uh, people with opinions. And this is a fictional version of something that definitely feels real, but I can give you an actual example, when Stalin was dying, they, they had to go into prisons to find specialists to talk to. They had uh, uh, falsely accused a bunch of prominent physicians of plotting to kill senior Soviet officials. And so these guys were languishing in prison when they, uh, when they needed their expertise. This is all pretty dramatic, but I bring it up because the reaction to things science and academic can often be so strong and there can be so much pushback. And a lot of political boogeymen are held up. Uh, people say, oh, this is, you know, deference to authority and, and scientific authority is, is a communist move and a socialist move if, if those are the things that scare you, you know. But um, that's not the track record. It's, it's people from authoritarian regimes that tend to push this type of approach. So where am I going on all of this? And where is James on all of this? I think it comes down to what he's saying about knowing what you don't know. We can work with that. There's a fundamental humility there, and I think that's what good scientists have. Not all. There's absolutely arrogance uh, in those circles, but there are also people trying to tear down scientific studies because they don't agree uh, with their own opinions But these are folks that don't have the expertise to do that. James does. He has done work on his own time without pay that has led to the retraction of dozens of scientific papers, of shoddy ones where he has just held up. um, It's not the conclusions. It's not the ethos. It's the methodology. It's like these are not real numbers. He even helped create a piece of software called Sprite that parses scientific studies for faulty data sets because there are some predictable things about numbers that get fudged. And so he is truly one of the world's authorities on deconstructing faulty scientific papers. That's what he is an expert in. And so, you know, if somebody um, wants to push back on a scientific paper, and we kind of talked about where sometimes that's relevant, you know, the correlation versus causation argument. Sometimes that's important if, if the conclusion hinges on Causality, but sometimes it doesn't matter. Uh, but if someone's really pushing back on something because they don't agree with it, what I would, I'm going to suggest saying this, encouraging them, not only kind of being interested in what they have to say, but say you should take what you're talking about and force a retraction, because let's make that the gold standard, right? For whether we have whether you're. Uh, trained as a scientist or an academic, it doesn't matter, right? We want to we want to open this up to the world, but there's still standards uh, of rigor that we have to undertake. So if somebody's like, ah, "No, that was that's a bad study," I don't agree with it. Great, force a retraction. And I would say, as long you know, once you've got one under your belt, put that on your resume. Maybe you've got some stuff to do that. But for the people that either can't or won't do the work to force a retraction you know, maybe maybe their opinions on the subject aren't as valuable. There, I said it. And by the way, I did bring up this point to James during the interview. Here's what he said.
1: I feel like the kind of constraints of digital life has rewarded everyone for having an opinion on everything, Um, simply because the entire metric of what value represents is determined by attention. There is something more honest in a way uh, about wearing a string bikini on Instagram and saying, I'm selling this protein powder and look at me, I'm hot. There's something more honest about that desire for attention and to be a media vehicle than there is about continually having an opinion about pertinent dangerous scientific topics that affect everyone else just because you want to be a contrarian or you want people to think you're clever or you're trying to build an image let the mean the hot people it's you know what it's fine let the hot people be the hot people the protein powder is probably even full of protein so it'll work just about as well as anything else will The majority of the time there's a way to navigate that and and, uh, go through your entire sort of digital life clamouring for as much attention as possible. But you shouldn't do it on the basis of I'm polluting the global pool of knowledge just because um, I, I want people to pay attention to me in particular. And this is like everyone knows who's associated, people who genuinely know. We know who the blowhards are. I mean, I don't want to get you into any legal trouble here by reeling off a long list of people that no one should ever listen to under any circumstances unless they're like come around and give you advice on your indoor plants or something. Um, but we, we know. Um, we really do. I guess I'm, I'm here. I'm standing for, uh, against the death of expertise here, Jeff. I'm not sure if that's why you invited me.
0: Well, yeah, pretty much, but this is also where I think we have to look at um, how many people want to be critical of scientific methodology and, and kind of want to play the expert card, even though they're really stepping outside of what they know. It feels a lot like Dunning Kruger. So, how do we how do we approach that?
1: Mm. Okay. Well, let's run the tape back on a few of those things. First of all, the, the papers by Kruger and Dunning and Kruger did all the work. So as far as I'm concerned, it's not the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's the Kruger-Dunning effect. And it's a, one of those names that come from a long line of graduate students having their work um, appropriated by the people that they work for. Um, that was Kruger's paper. I'd be happy calling it the Kruger effect. Secondly, it doesn't replicate particularly well, but at the same time that doesn't take away from the role of what we might call meta-knowledge, the ability to know whether or not you know. Now, I understand as someone from a country that was literally founded uh, from the, 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 the ethos of bastards and criminals, I understand very well the desire not to trust large authoritative bodies of people who are telling you stuff. But science is not government and it is not formal pharmaceutical uh, industry, whatever, for money. Science is... people, People really fail to understand this. A lot of the time we end up yelling at the government In some capacity to be able to do something and try and find people to talk to. Um, a lot of scientists do not like pharmaceutical companies as much as there is an uneasy relationship between all the good stuff that happens there and then the 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 uh kind of marketing a corporate department of the same vehicle. Um I know a lot of people who work for pharma companies who are working on things we really genuinely need. And the, the link between what they do in a backroom lab and what happens when it comes to, well, how are we going to get a patent extension on this particular drug by adding an antacid and then charging people 700% more than we strictly need to. The disconnect between that is really stark. A lot of us struggle with how we feel about that industry because there's so elements of it that are wildly different to the people who actually do the work. So let's finally return to your descent into solipsism here. What am I going to do if I can't look for anything that's particularly authoritative in the first place? It's actually an extremely difficult question. Basically, if you say that there's people out there you can trust, James, how do we establish who those people are if we're beginning from scratch? Right? In general, when it comes to the formal advice from a civic body that is full of scientists and policymakers that are in general unaffiliated with the regular frothy political bullshit that happens on top of these organisations. Generally, you can start there. The problem with those is that there have been a lot of very high-profile failures of things that, um, things that have been formal policy over, over a very long period of time. There's been some amazing, uh, there's been some amazing successes as well. In general, if you're trying to aggregate opinions from people who really know what they're talking about, I think your best place to start is with principles and not with the immediate facts of any given situation. I think you're going to have to buy and read a couple of books. And there's two recently when it comes to let's see what the critical environment of knowledge generation really looks like here. Uh, There's one by uh, Carl Bergstrom and uh, Jevin West called Calling Bullshit. Um, There's another one by Stuart Ritchie called Science Fictions. Now, I'm not just saying this because I'm in both of them, but I've read them both and they're both excellent books and they are about the environment, the kind of setup of the knowledge generation process as a species, where it goes wrong, where it goes right, what happens with it, the kind of state of play. I would I would start with those. And then I would move very carefully. One of the things that I do, which is, I mean, probably easier for me than a normative other people, is go looking for what the immediate responses are to things that are happening, current events from the right people on Twitter. Scientists love, the people don't know this, scientists love Twitter. Science Twitter is massive. It's never going away. And if you want to find 30, 40 people who are in the right policy area and find out what they think about something, they'll, they'll tell you. Um, there are a, a, a couple of, um, uh, in, in, in general, I would say that the nerdier people of the world also get their news about something from very specific places. So uh, let's like biotech, for instance, um, what I want, I want to learn about that. Um, I read Derek Lowe's blog on science magazine and I read stat news, which is generally, I mean, it's a, it's a biotech news site. It's based in Boston. Um, it's generally good. Um, it generally displays appropriate skepticism and for any given topic you have to winnow down the places that you'd find the information. Um, there are things that you can do uh, on an exclusionary basis as well and the The first thing is no news is any good really past a certain level for genuinely knowing something and i'm not that's not a partisan political statement, all of it. It's not the editorial line; it's the content. It's the way. It's the speed at which the content is assembled. It's the angle at which the content has to have so people pay attention to it in the first place. Anything shorter than an essay, a lot of the a lot of the time, uh, is a total is a total waste of eyes and pixels. I mean, it's, I, I I read the news, but I read the news because I'm interested in what's happening geopolitically. But if there's news about something that's scientific, I read the headline and then I read the paper. I don't read the description of what's actually happening uh, in, in the newspaper. And, look, anyone who's written, ask any scientist where someone's gone, oh, I'm going to write something in a newspaper about your paper. Ask them what they think of that article. There's a name for this in science. Did you, have you heard of Gelman Amnesia? Jeff is shaking his head. Well, Murray Gellman was a uh, a very famous physicist um, from the US. And gell amnesia is when he reads about physics in the newspaper, realises the person who's writing it doesn't have a fucking clue about anything to do with the physics that's uh, related to the topic, um, and then thinks... I can't imagine anything with less credibility than this. And then somehow he forgets that and he goes on to read about health policy and economics and warfare and droughts and shortages and climate policy and then thinks, oh, I'm sure they figured that out. I don't think the news is designed to make people happy. Um, and I, when it comes to this is my considered opinion on a policy, I mean, in general, I avoid it completely on all sides everywhere. It's not a source of, of information. It's like the difference between the shiny car keys being dangled in front of your face and the car itself. You have to build the car. You can't just look at the shiny keys. I hope that answered the question. that's actually a very hard question. These have been hard so far. Everybody. Uh, it reminds, there's a Buddhist parable, young, uh,
0: searcher comes and finds a monk. And, uh, known for his wisdom and asks him about some quote in, um, in the Buddha sutras. And the guy says, I, I don't know. I can't read. And he asks, you know, he says, well, how, how can you possibly know any of this? If you can't read, he said, these are like a finger pointing at the moon. And then, uh, and then Bruce Lee hit it for enter the dragon.
1: It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't. Concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. Showing your age here, man. That was a few years ago. <laughs> was, it, was, it, was, that not, was that not
0: in theaters recently, Into the Dragon?
1: Into the Dragon, Into the Grandpa, more like. Go on. I, I had a, if I had a good hip, I'd, I'd come over there. Maybe it is my age.
0: Maybe it's the time of day. But here is where I wind down my interview with James Heathers. Now, I always love speaking with James. I find him hilarious. I find him insightful. But the thing that I really want to shout out about him, and, and I think the special work that he is doing, is that it's not that he you know, freaking loves science, because I think we need to differentiate here between science as an institution and science as a pursuit of clarity that if I describe the world in a certain way, the language that I use can be used by you and easily understood that if I run an experiment and say this happens, if I do X, Y happens, you can uh, replicate that experiment. This is at the heart of things. Uh, When we worry more about science as an institution, I mean, this is how we get into the replication crisis and um, academics who are just sort of slaving away Um, trying to do research without necessarily worrying about the impact. That's different. I think we want to remember always, what is the point of this? Why are we doing this? And it's so we can better understand the world and communicate that. I want to thank you for hanging out with us today. Thanks to the Unlearning Network. Thanks to our sponsor, Othership. Don't forget to follow us on your platform of choice. And if you're feeling particularly kind, leave us a review. We'll see you soon. Thanks a lot.